we will make a determination about an image, about what it is, literally within 15 milliseconds. And by way of comparison, the human eye blinks at about 300 milliseconds. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Andy Janning to the show because Andy has been doing such good work as a storyteller for financial brands now for, for almost 30 years. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you so much, James Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've been in financial services 30 years, but really what I want to focus in on is the work that you've been doing as a storyteller, as a photographer, as a videographer over the last 12 months, really as a researcher, an anthropologist, because you've been looking at one of the most important areas really now more than ever before in a post-COVID-19 world, and that is around the use of images, photography, video, and the stories that financial brands are telling consciously, but probably more subconsciously based upon the use of images. Let's talk about first and foremost, why this is important to even have a conversation around, because it seems so nuanced and simple, right? Well, it, it should, and but for me, you know, kind of going along this path over, like you said, over almost the last three decades, being in financial services has really become very near and dear to me. And it started uh, about 10, 11 years ago when a mutual friend of ours, Denise Wymore, was speaking at a symposium that both you and I were at. And she was talking about the the, the plague that is stock photography in financial services. At the time, I was working for a credit union, working as leading up their talent development efforts. And that really, it really resonated with me because, you know, when I my world is primarily in the talent development world, but also a lot in the marketing world. But there's a lot of interconnection there because both areas are trying to get people's attention to try and change their behavior. And so when Denise was talking about that, I was like, that's really interesting. So it merged a lot about the human element of, of financial services and visual storytelling, which I love. But you know, with working and just life, all of that, I was like, yeah, okay, that's great. But as, when I started my business uh, over eight years ago, I started doing a lot of keynote presentations and talking about talent development and storytelling and human development, this element of photography and visual storytelling started kept creeping back in there. And I kept coming back to what Denise was saying about we need to do a better job of visually representing who we are, not just this generic, you know, idealized persona that nobody connects with. And it really hit home last year when I was keynoting an all-employee presentation for a credit union up in Michigan. I was driving back home, and I just had the, the random thought like we all have on road trips. We ask ourselves weird questions. And I started asking myself this whole you know, photography thing. I started asking myself literally the question, how many members and employees 
actually appear in photos in credit union websites because that's you know the, the world in which I, I rotate in most uh, most directly. And I asked myself, how many of those, them appear in that, and does it really matter? And that literally was just slightly over a year ago. And that one, those two questions basically kicked off for me a crazy project to pull together a group of people that we had high hopes to look at every single image on every single website inside the credit union space to see how we are visually telling our story. And what we found was in some ways confirmational of some of the instinctual reactions we have to how we have defaulted in our, in our visual storytelling, but also opened up some, some really interesting insights, but also some opportunities for us as financial services professionals, like you mentioned, even more so now in these uncertain times, which everybody says, but it's a time where people want, hey, are you really for me? You say that you're personal, you say that you care about me, prove it. This is our time to prove it. Yeah. So that's why this research is really important to me. It's not only important to you, it's important to me. And, and, and I recommend it be important to any financial brand leader, leadership team, board of directors, marketing team, sales team, because I remember that conversation with Denise and her words were pretty strong. Mm-hmm. She's, we need to kill all this, the shiny, happy stock people on websites today. And it's not only a credit union problem, it's also a community bank problem because the messages that which we convey, I've been advocating for financial brands to simplify their digital communication strategies, take out 80% of the content and the copy, use infographs, but more importantly, focus in on the stories that you're telling with the images of the people on your website. Because digital growth is a two-sided equation. One, hand we have the digital experience but on the other hand we have the human experience which is made up of help and hope but it's multiplied by empathy how do do images pictures videos how does that communicate empathy subconsciously so if you look at if you look at the research, when you look at literally how people's eyes move through websites, and when they look at the visual information on there, we will make a determination about an image, about what it is, literally within 15 milliseconds. And by way of comparison, the human eye blinks at about 300 milliseconds. So we'll look at an image and we will immediately decide, is it real and is it relevant? And those eye tracking studies show that if, they, if an image is has no connection to what's being presented, people will ignore it. But if there's actual real faces of real people with a real connection to what the institution is presenting, then they'll key on it, key on it. they'll connect with it, and they'll, they'll really sink into it. The problem with that is that being able to craft a portfolio of images, I think organizationally, people have convinced themselves that it's really difficult, it's really time consuming, and what's the big deal? Everybody uses stock, so why not just do it? Stock photography, me for me, is kind of like the Tiger King of of <laughs> of, of photography of, of visual storytelling now in financial services. We didn't want to look at it. We didn't know that we really even you know really even needed it. Everybody else was doing it though, so we thought, how bad could it be? Eight episodes in, we now have very strong opinions on a you know a zookeeper that we never met before and whether or not he paid somebody to kill another rival zookeeper all that to say is this we didn't plan to get here 
If you would have asked any financial services professional, hey, when you sit down on day one, I want you to be as generic as possible. I want you to be forgettable, and I want you to do your job with the, with the lowest bar of effort. Nobody would do that. But when we have we do the, the churn and the energy of, of our work, we get so pressed down and margins get so squeezed that the first two areas to go when things get tight, there's talent development and marketing. They're the last to know and the first to go because we haven't, for whatever reason, been able to show that strong link between what we put out there and what we get back is inextricably intermingled. So the extent to which that we as storytellers, and all of us are, the extent to which we as storytellers can connect with the people whose money we're spending and saying, this is the effect that we have, this is, a, this is a critical thing. The critical question for me is, do we as banks and credit unions love our members or our cu- and our customers, or do we just love their stuff? Hmm. And that's a tough question. And we can talk about how much we care for our people all we want to, but are we really caring for them, or do we just care what they're going to give us? And I think, I think the answer to that question is found a lot in our visual storytelling, and that's not a comfortable conversation, but it's a necessary one for us to keep our relevant keep us relevant going forward. Yes, because I can tell you, you talked about the studies of the eye tracking. We've actually done quantitative and qualitative. We do quarterly secret shopping for financial brands. And one of the very first questions that we ask to a consumer who does not have a relationship with said financial brand is, do you feel like you can trust this institution first? And then second, how does what you're looking at, how does it make you feel? And I can tell you without a doubt, the financial brands that are utilizing stock photography, stock image, always raises a red flag. You can, they might, a consumer might not verbalize it, but you can hear it in tonality. You can hear it in the adjectives that they use. So this is more important, as I said before, now than ever before. Why? Because COVID-19 and in a post-COVID-19 world, digital, digital shopping for financial brands will continue to increase in strategic prominence and importance because people will not go back to acting banking the way they did before. Right. And they shouldn't. And, no. and, and we have this huge opportunity to be able to show that we are real, that we're not just you know, this other this other commodity, that we do honestly care about who they are. And I think that we have we've lost our way a little bit in that, that we think that if we just throw up enough images that people will get it. Oh, they really don't care. They really don't look at them anyway. You're right. What you're putting out there, people don't care about. But when you connect it to the real mission of what real people actually do, Real people will pay attention. It will. There will be more time and effort into it. Absolutely. But from the data that we've seen, you know, this is. I think you know what one person you know 10, 11 years ago that we heard described as something that we need to get rid of. I have you know, the data to back it up that it is a plague in our industry. And the first organization to steer clear from it in their market will win. So will the second one. So will the third one. It will just. It will go. It will flow like a flow like a river. But it's going to be a hard revolution because people, they're going to think that it's not really, it's different. We, why should we do it? Yeah. And I think that's, I think we're missing an opportunity if we don't, if we ignore it. Yeah. I mean, uh, one study that 
in, in looking into this uh, before the, the, the conversation was from a Harvard Business Review, and they found that faces of people who look like us release oxytocin or that feel-good chemical that promotes connection. That's the HX. That's the human experience delivered digitally. So let's talk a little bit about some of the findings because you guys looked at almost 1,400 credit union websites, Mm -hmm. around 52,000 images. So there's a lot that went into this research. It wasn't something that you did in a day. What were some of the key findings and what were some of the things that maybe surprised you going a little bit deeper? So, so one of the things that we found was that the photos of real people were almost non-existent. They were only about three and a half percent of the total number of website photos that we, that we found. And of those we viewed in, in our, since we were looking just at credit unions, but I would, I would hazard a guess that this isn't just a credit union problem, that almost 84% of the credit union websites we visited don't have a single image of an actual member or an actual employee. There's, they're, they're just not there. Photos of real employees are almost as rare. They're only about 12% of the total photos that have been put out there. So they're, they're vanishingly small. Our quote unquote most important asset is an inconvenient abstraction when it comes to the messages that we're sharing out there. And that 70% of the photos that we found were stock. And 91% of the, of the websites that we visited had at least one stock photo which means that we're giving our members and our customers tens of thousands of excuses to ignore us, tens of thousands of opportunities to just basically put us in the woodpile and just not and think that we're just the same as everybody else. And that was shocking to me that this is that this is this prevalent. And it's too soon, I think, you know, I, I would love to be able to say that, you know, I know exactly why these things aren't happening. And I that's going to take a lot more research and a lot more study. But I think if you were to ask any 10 financial services professionals, leaders, marketers, whoever, and ask them which one's easier to get, a real photo and a real story of a real member, or just go on to Adobe Stock and download something that looks vaguely similar, they're going to go to Adobe Stock every time because they have because there's so much pressure, there's so much busyness that we've forgotten the people that actually make all of it possible. So I want to hypothesize a little bit with you about why this is a problem based upon what we're seeing through our digital growth diagnostic studies and working with financial brands. Number one, it's a purpose problem. Um, And what I mean by that is the traditional mission and vision statements of the financial brand are a little internal facing or maybe they're a lot internal facing they're clinical they're rooted in legacy the opportunity though is to create an external facing purpose statement that is surrounded or that surrounds the people of the communities that a financial brand serves because that would make it so much easier to make the investment in what i would call this evergreen content whether it be a visual, whether it be a story, whether it be a video. And you actually are kind of working through a very specific process to develop evergreen content around specific product lines to where I do something once, but it creates exponential value over a much longer period of time. Yeah, it might be a little bit harder. It might cost a little bit more than go into Adobe stock, but I'm a CEO 
I'm a CFO. I want to know that this is going to help me get more loans and, and take more deposits mm -hmm. in your study. We're, I, I want to talk about this first and then we'll come back to, to the process opportunities. Sure. But in your studies, you noted that there was a, I think it was a, a was it a moving company? Yeah. Yeah. So this, there's a moving company that literally they changed one image on one, on, on one of their pages. And I'm pulling up the, the data here just so I, I, I can make sure that I have it. They swapped out a stock image on the front page of their website. And this is, this again, this is a truck driving school. Stop, swapped out a perfectly composed, very nice, very boring stock photo of a guy driving a truck. They swapped that out with a real image of a real student standing in front of one of their trucks with, you know, with their company information there on the back. So again, truck driving training company that's based in Chicago. The guy's sweatshirt has the word Florida on it. So there's already confusion, but that changing just that one image increased their requests for info 161% and it increased their program registrations by 38%. Literally their revenue from that, from that, from that area went up 38%. And when I tell that to people in like in, in credit union spaces and you know presentations and stuff like that, they're like, wow. And I ask them, how many of you want 38% more revenue? Nobody's hands stay down. They all raise their hands in the air and wave them as if there are no consequences. They get they say, yes, we want this, but but then that's where you talked about the, the legacy thinking, the reflexiveness, and I have and the and I see them on their face and they come up to me afterwards and they say, This sounds really good, but um, what if you photograph a member and they leave? What if you, you know, use real images of your employees and they leave? And I'm like, what happens if you don't and they leave anyway? You know, you're and because what I found is that that's just fear talking. It's that, oh my gosh, what if we highlight this person and they rob us? It's like, well, you are going to have that risk anyway. Me snapping a photo doesn't make them exponentially more likely to, to, to ruin you. But when people see that they have, you've taken time to actually put that human element in there, that's huge. From, from the world of pharmaceuticals, because uh, this has become kind of a, this is connected with a larger project that I'm working on when it comes to visual storytelling that I want to talk about here in a minute. The world of pharmaceuticals, there was kind of a, a, this, this aha moment back in 2017 when drug maker Merck, for the first time ever in a, in a large market, in a large market advertising campaign, used a photo and a story of a real patient in their advertising. It was like it was like this this unbelievable moment that that their that their industry circulars were talking about, and people were starting to then follow, started following suit because they knew that the more people that saw real people using these actual interventions, the more likely they were to feel more comfortable with them, and. Why can't we do that in our industry? Yeah, in, in in financial services, and oddly enough, looking from the world of animation, the world of animation and computer graphics, there's a phenomenon called the uncanny valley. Have you ever heard of it? No. Uncanny valley is basically it says that in animation, 
if something is clearly a robot, we will not be very, it won't be creeped out. If it's, if it's a, clearly something like in a Pixar movie that's clearly a robot, but acting like a human being, we're not that weirded out by it. But the more that the automaton starts to act and look more human, but doesn't hit it, we there is what's this dip in connection to that thing. The more something that's not human tries to pretend that it's human and, and misses the mark, we're like, go away, right? So, so, and so, so this, go ahead, it's just, go ahead. Oh, so to make that more real for me personally, I think it was the experience that I had when I watched the Lion King and I was confused as was I watching something on yeah. the discovery or the Nat Geo channel or was I yeah. watching and it really, it put me in an uncomfortable situation. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the way that the, where the research is is going when when we when visual animators look at this, and I'm looking at the quote here, a compelling area for this research is, is what occurs when mismatches between the robot's appearance and their behavior. And I think you can replace the word robot with financial institution. Mm. The level of disconnect between our appearances being we're so connected and we care about you, but our behavior and our imaging doesn't match up. We say that we're real. We say that we want to be personalized, but our imaging completely contradicts that. That puts us squarely in this uncanny valley perceptually for our customers to think that there's something just not right there. There's, they're just, they're not walking the talk. They're not, they don't believe what they're saying. Wow. We become cliche. We become ignored. And even more so, we become kind of like, you're the enemy. You're not working for me. All banks are bad. All of them should go away. What's the difference with credit unions? Oh, they're just a bank with a different kind of tax structure. We all get put in the same bucket. We all get put away because we're not real. People can sense the disconnect between our words and our images. They see that difference and want no part of it. That's a, I, I, that's is the valley I think we're, we're moving through right now. We can get our way out of it and people are doing it, but it's it needs to happen faster. Technology has transformed our world, and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now, consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to, because James Robert wrote the book, that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. I'm going to process that for a little bit because that is a really big problem. And I mean, even that whole lion key, like, yeah, it's, it puts me in a comfortable situation. Something just doesn't feel right. Something seems off. And then I start to classify you, the financial brand as the enemy, because now we can look at this as basic story, structure, archetype narrative. Let's like Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. There can only be one hero in a story. 
the second hero that's introduced is always the antagonist. It's the it's Darth Vader. The hero is Luke, but there's another very important role that has to to, to, to have a story. So you have the hero, the anti-hero, and then we have the guide. So if we're using images of the people in the communities, our account holders, our members, our small businesses, we're positioning them as the heroes, as the stories we tell, which makes it easier for us to take on the, the role of the helpful guide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And you know, that's, we construct that narrative. And when we, especially now when people's narratives have been so radically disrupted when they're looking at their cupboards and they're wondering how am i going to be able to eat when business owners have this promise of hey you can get these loans and this assistance but things are not working the way that they're supposed to they're looking for they're going to put okay is this institution are they my my guide or my villain because mm. that's what the hero is going to do that significant person that comes in, they're going to make that immediate decision. Is this person here to help me or are they here to harm me? And in that hero's journey, the nuance there, the mentor, the guide figure is always a hero that's completed his journey and is now making more heroes. That's what he, that's what guides do. The antagonist, if you will, is a mentor or is a, is a wannabe hero that refused mentorship, that refused any sort of guide. And you see that played out in literature all the time. So the extent to which that financial institutions eschew any sort of any sort of guide or people saying, you need to get better at this because emperor, you're naked and you need to cover some stuff up. The extent to which the financial institutions especially are saying, oh no, we got this. We know what our people want. Besides those images really aren't that important anyway because they're cheap. We can get a thousand images for like three bucks. How, you know, how difficult can it be? Those institutions that, that ignore guidance they're the villain in the story, mm. period, 100%. And the hero during his journey, the point where he dips, where he goes almost to the dark side is when he fires his mentor. It always happens. Luke did it. Daniel did it. Look at any movie with a hero figure in it, and they will want to fire their guide. Why? Not because the guide was bad, but because the guide was telling them something that the hero didn't want to hear. Force that's, change. That's, that's the inflection point that we're at right now. Yes. The organizations that are going to take good advice from pros like you that realize, guys, we're broken. We have an opportunity to just hit control off, delete, and do something different. Those are the ones that are going to make it. The ones that think that, oh, what could possibly happen? How bad can this be? You will be cons you are on the dust pile of history. You're already at the bottom of their wallet. You're soon going to be in the dustbin. You're just you're a dinosaur that's already died, and you don't realize that your next move is to fall down. That's the point that we're at right now. I'm going to put my CFO hat on, my CEO hat on once again. Andy, like philosophically, I get it. I started to connect with you on when you were talking those numbers with the the moving company. Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm going to put some more numbers to that because I think in the study it was this moving company added ten thousand dollars a month to the bottom line. $120,000 per year. Hypothetically speaking, we apply this thinking. We humanize our digital experience mm -hmm. with real people, real stories, real videos. We do away with the shiny, happy stock people. Hypothetically, I invest $20,000 to just a product line. That $20,000 though, with that, that, that same type of thinking, 
becomes $120,000 over the course of a year, but then does that exponential factor because those stories and narratives have some life to them. Maybe a year, maybe two years, and then we come back and we revisit the current environment. Talk me through a process that I could think about bringing this type of perspective into my own financial brand, making it reality. So, so I would think that first of all, when we look at this kind of visual storytelling, this is, we have to view it as something that is not optional. And I equate it to you, it is your organization's dress code. Mm. And I will ask anybody that says, show me the ROI from this, which is a completely valid concern because we're spending other people's money here. I'm gonna come back and say, what's the ROI of your dress code? What's the ROI of pants? Tell me that. Tell me what the return on investment is of your corporate image. Can they quantify that? And I will, and I've asked this question of financial services leaders, and they've been like, oh, well, okay, we haven't done that, but it's just the right thing to do. We want to differentiate ourselves. I said, this is the same thing. This is no different. This is your organization's uniform, is your visual images here. The second person, the second data point that I'm going to put up in front of them is a friend of mine named Dave Clavitter. He's the chief marketing officer of Dupaco Credit Union in Iowa, one of the largest credit unions in the, in the country, if not the world. And he had a great quote that I, that I said in one of my series of articles that they completely got rid of stock photos completely, all using just all real members, all real images. And he embraced the power of the visual storytelling, but then he went on to say this. He said, real photographs can convey potential vulnerabilities, absolutely. For a brand to throw it all out there to be real conveys a huge amount of, wait for it, trust. Members not only trust Dupaco with their money, but act in their best interest. And here's the killer line. I think this is largely responsible for nearly 10% net member growth wow. last year. They change their images and they get and they grow. Now, I will gladly have people to say that's one data point in one area. But I'm going to ask them, if you were a real person yet you did not know me, if you had, would you rather interact with a stock? a stock, you know, this, this generic representation of you, or do you want me? Which one do you want? Same thing. And the other, the other example that I use is that when I go to your house, let's say you invite me over for dinner, we're talking about this. When I walk through your house, am I going to see images on your walls and your in your frames are the stock images that came with the, with the frames? No, you're going to have real photos in there of you. If you kept up even one frame of a generic image, this is going to seem a little bit weird. That's your own home. You took time and effort to decorate it with who you are. And so I'm going to ask them, walk me through the logic that says that you can decorate your homes and personal images and invite me in. But even one image of something that's not you, that's generic and unreal, that's going to be weird. Walk me through the logic that says you can do that at your own house, but not at your organization. I'll wait. And that may sound really like aggressive, but I think that's the point that we need to get to. That's the equivalence that we start need to start. Th those are the connections we need to start making. Because I don't is, think any other, I, I don't think any other thing is really going to resonate. I mean, it, it really is. This is the moment of truth. This is the dip. This is the call to action to where some tough choices have to be made of how we're going to move forward. I'm going to pose this from another perspective. What happens if we don't take action? What happens if we remain the same? How much will that cost us? Gosh. Here's the interesting thing. I think that in many ways, we have nowhere to go but up. Mm. I think if many, if many folks, I think you will have as many compelling arguments to stay where they are 
than you will have for people to say, yeah, we're going to change. I think there will be some organizations that are happy with, okay, yeah, we didn't make the change and we really didn't see a difference. And we're actually seeing more people because, you know, for, for whatever reason, I think it's still going to be catastrophic. I still think it's going to be a catastrophic opportunity to really gain the trust of our membership, to gain the trust of our customers, not to say nothing of our employees. That's the other un, kind of unmentioned element in all of this. Our most important assets, they don't appear anywhere on our sites. Yeah. We don't talk about the good work that they do. Jim Nussel, the head of the Credit Union National Association, has, has equated bankers, credit union professionals, all of them. He's called them financial first responders. And I think that is a brilliant way yes. of, of entering into this. Yes. If we're not honoring them, if you are saying that, if that you are much more comfortable doing a five-second search for a stock photo, shiny, happy people punching in things on a computer versus actually saying, hey, Linda, over there in accounting or member services or in commercial banking or wherever, walk me through your day. Can I sit with you for a day and I can just, on my phone, just take images of how the hard work that you're doing? If you're willing as an organization to tell me that you're not worth this, that few hours of effort, why should I want to continue to work with you? It's that tacit way of saying that, yeah, we're these are all corporate buzzwords, but we re don't really believe it, you know. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a failure at a human level. Uh, I don't know how you can quantify that. It's a failure at a human level, and if we as financial institution professionals are not willing to admit that, then we should get out of this industry. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. What you just cued in on from from Jim financial first responder i've been talking about the same things with the financial brands we we advise because right now we are in the 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 midst of the covid-19 health crisis very quickly following that is if it's not already begun is the covid-19 financial health crisis i've heard nurses i've heard doctors say yeah. that this health crisis this is why we train. This is this is our Super Bowl moment. The yeah. same is going to be true for us in financial services. This is why we train. This is why we do what we do. This is this health financial health crisis is our Super Bowl moment. I know that you've been working to document some of these healthcare worker stories. Yeah. Uh, there's the same opportunity to do that for financial brands as well to tell these Absolutely. Stories. And I would I, I would jump at the chance to do that. I mean, obviously, social distancing. If they if they, their entire call center just wants to come up to the window, I'll take a picture of them. It doesn't matter. It's what motivates somebody to to leave their family, to leave that cocoon of safety, and go in and process these payroll protection program loans, these EIDLs, these answering businesses' questions about how am I going to stay in business, answering someone's questions about how am I going to keep paying the bills. The level of expertise that we have sitting in our organizations right now, the, the sheer level of brain power that they're having to, to apply to these situations while also at the same time asking the same questions of their own world, but keeping it professional and serving other people in the same boat that they are, it, it is extraordinary. And I am one, I would jump at the chance to tell those kind of stories. And we as, again, we, we as an industry, completely financial services as a whole. We owe it to those folks to be able to say, 
you busted your butt to try and work from home while trying to help your kid do their school from home, <laughs> while trying to be a good husband and wife and provider, while also trying to provide a seamless level of, of care for our members and customers. There needs to be that level of honoring. Because like you said, that devastation, that financial devastation that people are experiencing right now has been going on for many, many years in other populations. We just haven't seen it yet because we haven't want to talk about the human toll. Yeah. Money is the last thing that we want to talk about. Money is the last thing that we that most people will talk about in polite conversation. And I think that Band-Aid is starting to get ripped off. We as financial institutions have a, a, the profound opportunity to prove that we love people and we use money to do it and not the other way around. How brave are we to be able to step into that space? That's the challenge I'm laying out there. You know, I, I, I love it. Um, and it is a big challenge to take action and, 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 and respond to heed the call, if you will, to your point, money, it's yeah, having the having money conversations is very hard. We've done research for financial brands to where, you know, people are looking for like to have judgment free conversations. There was a study done by uh, fintech player Honeyfy, to where they they found that it's easier for couples to talk about sex than it is to talk about money. Money is really the thread. It affects our physical well-being. It affects our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, our 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 like our relational well-being. So as we wrap up and and thank you for everything. This has been such a a, a wonderful conversation. You have a beautiful mind. What is that one thing that you can recommend financial brands leadership teams, marketing teams, sales teams to think about, not only think about, but to take action on over the next 12 months. I take some inspiration from the Navy SEALs because they're cool and they're the Navy SEALs and that's and that's, that's just awesome. But they have a saying in the Navy SEALs, aim small, miss small. Mm. In marksmanship, if you try and may say, I'm just gonna hit that whole target, you're gonna miss it. But if you go to a very small, very small section of the target, you're gonna hit it. I would say to any financial brand to say, look, you don't have to throw out your entire stock portfolio, but start with one member, one story on, on one element of your website, one employee story, or just say, put a, you know, a video camera up in front of them or, or a still camera, just have them take a selfie of what their day is. Watch what happens to the engagement when you just throw that one little thing out there. A moving company did it with one image. We can start small, and it's not just for your social media platforms. That's, I want to be very clear about this. This is your front door is your website. Start small and watch it grow. Watch how people's demand goes to it. You, this isn't this catastrophic change. We've had enough change, for God's sakes. But if when you just start small with those, with those incredible people that are funding you, that, are, that you're helping, start small and grow out from there, you're going to see that how can you go back to that world that was shiny and happy and polished. We're moving to a world now, and you've seen this, where we've said, hey, I don't want Slick and Produced. If it's my favorite artist just doing their TV show from their basement with one light and some really crappy audio, that's okay because it's, it's still them. We can throw out the quality argument now. We still need to have a, have a good product, obviously. But that, I think, has been the last excuse that people have said that, oh, well, we the stock photos all look unified. People don't want unity so much that they want connection. They want to be able to look at somebody like C.S. Lewis did in his definition of friendship to say, what, you too? 
I thought I was the only one. Yeah. That is our call is to show that you're not alone and that we're here to help, but there's also a community of people there that are in that same boat as you are, that are cheering you on just as much as you are them. Start small with one and let that fire grow. That's how we change. Speaking of you're not alone, someone listening to this wants to connect with you, continue the conversation, say hello. What is the best way for them to do, to do that? Uh, I'd be honored. It's the website that you've had uh, up there this entire time, andyjanningphoto.com. That's my photo and videography portfolio, along with all of the, the topics on which I speak. They can connect with me there. They can also find me on all the social media channels at my name, Andy Janning. Andy, hey, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.